This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down scripture and biblical topics to make them easy to understand and inspire a conversation that is ultimately glorifying to God. We pray that this content blesses you, challenges you, and edifies you in your faith. So have a seat at the table, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. Take numero dos. Yeah, that was a little creepy. Well, we were right on the. That was like the the twins on The Shining. That's because he's he's on his fifth Red Bull for the morning, so we're vibing at the same level, baby. Brothers wound for sound. (laughs) (laughs) Are you are you seeing are you seeing sounds and hearing colors? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Take two. Man, yeah, that's in reference to a tragic event in which this episode has already been recorded and then deleted by someone. Who deleted it? We won't. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder who deleted it. We won't name names. Trey. Whoa. He just doxed me, dude. Say it. Don't say (laughs) it. So we're going to be re-recording this, and uh, you guys will get a little funny banter for free. And the tragic thing was, I mean, it it went rather swimmingly when we did it. It did. I mean, yes. It was impeccable, to quote our cousin. Can't be packed? Yeah. Could not be packed. (laughs) (laughs) Could not be packed. Ah. All right. uh, So, well. We're starting mm-hmm. off in uh, in a series. Yeah, we were starting a, a series. Yeah, what's the series called? What's what's on the table? Well, we have, yeah, what's at the table, baby? So what's at the table is we're going to be starting a series. We're going to um, sort of borrow this title from uh, another another podcast. They never used it for a title for an episode, but we thought it would be an awesome title for a series. And, and it's address, addressing in the scripture, um, answering the question that it becomes um, derived like sort of off of the thesis statement of the Bible, like the, the cornerstone text. And that's Genesis 3, in the verse in which Yahweh promises the serpent that he will raise up from the seed of the woman a snake crusher, one that will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And we will be trekking through the text, um, both the what evangelicals call the Old Testament, if you're uh, Jewish or Messianic Jewish or a scholar, maybe Tanakh or whatever else you'd like to call it, and then, you know, answer that question. So, as all good movies and all good books, we will start in the beginning. Yeah. So, in the beginning... Um, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So, you have, uh, first it's saying that God has created the heavens and the earth, right? And then he hovers over the face of the waters, and this begins uh, a process that we call like the six-day or seven days of creation. 
really six days and then a seventh day of rest. Another way of saying that is instead of the you know King James classic formless and void would be wild and waste. Wow. The idea is that yeah. there's chaos, that the the earth is without <coughs> order in its yeah. initial creation, and it takes God moving upon the face of the waters to bring order to chaos. Hmm. I think it's a good way to understand chaos for our purposes too, is outside of order. Yeah. Something that defies the order, outside of the order, or needs order. So first day, um, in, in a paraphrasing fashion. So we have the light separated from the darkness, the heavens and the earth. The second day, the sky. The third day, God makes dry land and plants and seas. And the third day in particular is kind of cool. You know, God separates the waters. That will become important um, later on in the text. God draw, separates the chaos waters, if you will, and brings dry land out of them. And then on the fourth day, uh, stars, moon, and sun, God creates the heavenly bodies. So we know in the first day there was light, and God said, let there be light. Yeah. He divided the the day from the night, but had not yet created the celestial bodies um, that rule the night and the day. That's done in day four. Uh, interesting that there's a light that predates that. And I wonder what or whom that would be. I think that John answers that question. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, we're going to get there. It's many books later. Uh, <laughs> day five. The flying animals and the animals in the sea. The sea teams with creatures. That will become important in another book. Teams with life and creatures. And then on day six, this is referred to as the number of man in the text because man was created on day six. So all the land animals and people were made on day six. And God says something in specific about humankind that sets them apart from the rest of creation listed in the Genesis account. And that is this. Let us make man in our image, and in our likeness, let us make him. Yeah. So God has an image bearer um, that he has made to, to rule over the land, and will tell his creation later in the next chapter, rule the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Yeah, and the very next thing that God does after creating men, giving them this divine decree, this this job to do, is God says that He He blesses them, right? Mm -hmm. he, he says to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over everything." Yeah. So, in a sense, you know, there there's a part of creation that is not done yet, mm -hmm. and God desires for man to partner with Him in in this creative work to take what God has initiated, and to continue it. Yeah. In Genesis 2, that was the summary of Genesis 1, Genesis 2 starts off by telling us, and thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, this will become another important thing, God ended his work with which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, and God blessed the seventh day. And sanctified it. So there's a lot of blessing in the Genesis uh, creation account. And there's the blessing of people or God saying that this is good. But God specifically blesses the day, the seventh day. He blesses it 
and sanctifies him, because in that he had rested from all of his work which he created and made. And so thus the, the, the earth is made. Um, then Genesis 2 begins to talk about a place called Eden, uh, a garden. God planted a garden, sorry, eastward in Eden. Um, and, you know, there's rivers that water it. It talks about where, you know, where gold is. And God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The idea, too, is that this this garden, this, this place where God abides with his His creation, that it's, that it's on a mountain. We get that idea from verse 10 where it says, Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became four rivers. This the idea is this happens because this river is coming from a mountain down. You know, this is and it's spreading out over the whole earth. So you have this idea of life flowing out of Eden and going to water the, the earth outside of this garden. And it puts the abode of God on this mountain as the source, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. Source of life, yeah. The life That's flows true. from him. It's crazy, it's, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Like it's self-sufficient. Self, yeah, like, order, yeah. right? It's, it's, God has ordered it, and, it's, and it's, it's happening like it's supposed to. Well, and there's plenty. That's something to note, too. Like in today's day and context, I mean, we're in the middle of a drought right now, and there's not enough streams coming up from the ground to, to make all of the ground luscious. In fact, there's a, a lack of water. Cornfields are dying. I mean, my grass outside of my house is crunching like it's been frozen. <laughs> it's so dead. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, here there's, Eden isn't described as a place where there's any lack. Right. And I think this begins the, the crux of the conversation, you know, that believers get and maybe even sometimes have, even if it, the question wasn't brought up by an unbeliever, but in their own mind. You know, for the Christian and the not Christian alike, all of us at some point wonder, how did the world get this way? Yeah. We see traits of, of beauty everywhere. Uh, I mean, I I never really appreciated this till I got older and married a country girl. But I, you know, for instance, uh, when the wheat has grown yeah. and it's almost harvest, you look over the top of a wheat field and the wind blows it. It almost looks like a sea of yellow. Yeah, I'm just golden yellow. What, is, what does the song say? Amber yeah. waves and green. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, getting there though. Speaking of uh, marriage, you know, that's where we're that's where we're at in chapter two. Is God has looked over all of creation, and He has said, "It is good. Hmm. It is good." And then we come to man, and He sees that man is alone. And about this one hmm. situation, He says, "This is not good." And in particular, before we go there, another important thing is, so God took the man and he put him in the garden to keep it, to dress it, um, to tend to it, cultivate it. It means to bring out the best in this. And God commanded the man, saying, the text says. So when God first orchestrates his commandments, he gives them to the man. So he says to the man, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. So that's what you were touching on. He's, you know, he causes man to fall asleep. He takes 
a rib out, and then he makes woman. And then Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In Genesis 20, or 2.25, the last one verse in Genesis 2 points out something important. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There was nakedness, but no shame. There's an idea of, of purity there. Yeah. Yes. Innocence and purity. Yeah. Now, Genesis 3, this kicks off the first answer to how did things get so bad. Yeah. That may sound somewhat strange to like a contemporary evangelical. Because if you ask the majority of us, how did the world get the way that it got? We would typically answer with Genesis chapter 3. We'd say the fall of man and pretty well leave it there. Right. But um, I, we, our thought here, and, and we're definitely not alone. We're amongst a community of the ancient Near Eastern, you know, Hebrew and, and Jewish mind frame and so on and so forth. And a pretty good amount of scholarship as well would not answer that question in that way. But they see a series of three evil inspirations, boosters, kickstarts. Rebellions. Yeah, rebellions that um, so mankind only builds on that, right? right. We only do worse. So the idea is not to take away any blame from Adam and not to take any blame away from any of us, but it's, it's an idea that we were not alone in our decision to rebel against God. Yeah. They were, you know... Um, you would have to read a lot into Genesis three to get all the hosts of heaven falling. Yeah, there. Sure. You would have you would have to you know make a lot of assumptions, and that's what kicks off Genesis three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So it's interesting just to pause that the snake is being specifically called out as like some kind of intelligent. Yeah, there, there's you know, like word crafty. It's an crafty. idea of manipulative right it's mm. there's an idea there that it's a a connotation if you will that it's it's not a good crafty right yeah you know there, there's already you, you have this idea that this isn't a good situation he said to the woman did god actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden but god said you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. For the serpent said, You will not surely die. <laughs> this is just so funny. You know, I mean, you know, he's asked her, like, Did God really tell you that? And she even expounds. Yeah. You know, right? She adds to it. She adds to it. It's like, No, I, well, yeah. God said, Not only can I not eat it, but he said, Don't even touch it, because if I do, I'm going to die. And the serpent's like, You're not going to die. Nah. No. Right. And the question, of course, like, is there such a thing as a talking snake, or are we dealing with something else here? And we'll we'll be answering that soon. Yeah. So the woman sees that this is an important thing. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that looked good to her eyes. So that's an important yeah important phrase there. Keep that in your back pocket. Yeah, that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, took of its fruit. That's another important thing. And ate. She gave some also to her husband, who was with her. Like, oh, Adam, gosh. He was with her, and he ate, too. 
And it says both of their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Let's go start another theme where a man is supposed to, to have the job of, of covering, right? He's supposed to be the, the leader. He was made first. He's given the creative orders. He's given the commands. It's kind of his job to be the authoritative presence, but he somehow lets this, this serpent, you know, seduce his wife in front of him. And so that begins a theme in the children of, of Adam where they're not being the husband, right? The idea of a husband is the idea of a gardener. Yeah. Husbandry is the art of, of, of cultivation. cultivation, right? Of cultivating a garden. And, and God gave that job to Adam for his wife. But here he fails. Yeah, he does. Um, very unfortunately. <laughs> then both of their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound. Well, I can't imagine that that would work very well. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the in the cool of the day. The Hebrew is the ruach, the wind of the day. Yeah. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So they they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But God called to man and said to him, Where are you? So back into the paraphrasing here. Man and woman eat of the fruit. They realize their nakedness. And then there's fear. And there's fear of God, which generally in the Bible is a good thing. Right. But there's one problem with this fear. It's too late. Yeah. Right? If you would have feared beforehand and obeyed, you would not be in a position to be fearful because of your disobedience, which are two very different kinds of fear. You know, I, I don't know what Adam knew and what he didn't know. I, you know, no one does. But the idea that the serpent is falling in this process, this is the, his initial rebellion, I find it really hard to see. Yeah. And I think that it, it's not too much conjecture to think that Adam should have known something was up. And, and now, after he's, he's walked into rebellion with this, this heavenly being, suddenly now he's afraid of God. Yeah, he's afraid of God, but it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. I mean, because he clearly, you know, we, we know this is not, we're, we're not suggesting that Genesis is telling us there was a snake that was talking to Adam and he listened to the snake. Yeah. But the snake it, it, is a figure. It embodies... A, a divine being and even in the ancient Near Eastern cultures um, you know that's pretty common for a serpent to be a representation of a divine being and this one happens to be malevolent right he's he's evil so God says what is this that you have done and the woman says the serpent deceived me and I ate so the Lord said to the serpent this is where our snake crusher comes in I noticed that you skipped the part where Adam says but the woman that you yeah, gave me, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. not really my fault. Didn't you save it? Man. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you save the episode? <laughs> but, you know, that's right. <laughs> Isn't that the point, though? Like, yeah. somehow, Adam it feels the need to delay the blame at God's feet, almost like yeah. the woman. It's not just the woman's fault, but it's the, the woman gave me. that wow. you gave me. Man, yeah. Adam, not a good move. Uh, not, not cool. But God seems pretty patient. So God, God says this, Yahweh says, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock, talking to the serpent, and above all the beasts of the field. This is what's interesting. On your belly you shall go, on the, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head, or bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. To Adam he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life of the ground. It is cursed for your sake. The ground is beautiful. Adam isn't cursed. But the ground is cursed because of what Adam did. There's mercy there. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So Genesis 3 concluding. Man is driven out from the garden of Eden. And there is a cherubim and a flaming sword that turns every way to protect the way of the tree of life, to yeah. guard it. So, so you Adam, just hit the crux, right, yeah. of, of this series. And that's this, this first prophecy that there is. You know, you have the cursing of the serpent. But God, in the first, you know, book of the Bible, in the third chapter, he, he is giving us the end. Mm. He's, he's, he is prophesying over this, this divine rebel. That there's, I'm going to raise from the woman that you deceived. I'm going to raise up a seed from her that's going to crush your head. Yeah. You're going to bruise his heel. All that language is important, but, but he's going to crush your head. Mm. He's going to be your downfall. This is the first prophecy in the Bible, and arguably it's, this is the, Most important. Yeah, it's the crux from which the rest of the entire Bible flows. Mm. Everything else in the Bible is going to point back to this moment. And evidently, the serpent takes this promise pretty seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> the, the very the very next chapter, we have the first murder. Yeah. We have Eve and Adam have a son, Cain. Uh, I've got, and his name, you know, I, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've begotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Abel was the keeper of the sheep. There's a lot of keeper of the sheeps that end up having a special place in God's heart. Yeah. But Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain's angry, and it says his countenance or his face fell. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It almost sort of characterized. It's, like, anthrop it's anthropomorphic yeah, language. It's like giving it. sin this ability to crouch, right? Yeah. It's, it it's kind of serpentish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. There's that word, the desire, that idea of desire. You know, sin desires to have you, but you, you, sh you should master it. You, there's an idea, first of all, I'd like to point out that God's still communicating with man. Yeah. God's speaking to Cain. Sure. You know, and Cain, it's, it almost sets Cain up from the very beginning as a son of Adam. Not just, you know, a literal son of Adam, but what does he do? Well, he's tilling the ground, right? What did God say Adam would do? From, you know, from the dust you're, you're going to eat. In pain, you know, it's not going to be easy for you. So, he, you know, Cain is angry. He doesn't listen to God, but speaks to his brother in the field, and then he murders him. And God says something to him 
that becomes very important too. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And uh, clearly God's answer shows that he was not who he should have been. And the Lord says, What have you done? You remember when he said that to Eve? What is this thing that you have done? So he says this, and God's not looking to be educated. This right. question yeah. is rhetorical. It says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Yeah. And the ground has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. We get this idea here um, that Cain, again, currently isn't away from God's face. He's not away from God's presence. Though man has been exiled from Eden, though they have been exiled away from the tree of life, but they are still very much in communion with God. And that is not obviously because Cain seeks to be in right relationship to God, but rather God reaches out toward Cain. And still has mercy. Yeah, a lot of mercy. And then, you know, chapter 4 ends, you know, we get some genealogy from Cain who has a wife. He moves eastward away from the presence of the Lord, which becomes another important theme in Genesis. And he has, you know, all of these descendants until a descendant of his named Lamech kills a young man for wounding him and says, well, hey, if God said, and he did, and I've skipped over that part, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then I should be avenged seventy and sevenfold. And God didn't proclaim that protection over Lamech. Doesn't Lamech also, (laughs) isn't he the first one to practice polygamy? He's the first one to take two wives. Yeah. 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 There's this idea of no longer is it, you know, this union. Yeah. Like even this has become corrupted. And I, I love what God says about Abel's blood. He said, you know, because you've done this thing, the, the ground will not yield up plenty for you. It's almost like this idea of the earth even knows that this should not have happened. You know, yeah. it, creation, it, it kicks against this kind of thing. And it recognizes you, it should not be receiving blood. Right. And while God, he, his disposition is mercy towards Cain, but also there's this idea of justice. That God doesn't miss things. He sees everything. And when there's wrongdoing, when there's injustice, when there's bloodshed, it cries out to God from the ground. This, this life that he has given to man, it cries out to him when it's taken. Man, and, you know, this is kind of a, a point of sorrow in the text. Yeah. Because we have Cain as, you know, the unrighteous seed. Right. The seed, he's the seed of the woman too, though. But he acts like the seed of the serpent. Right. And he kills the seed of the woman that was righteous in the eyes of the Lord. He murders him. And so then, you know, thinking back to Genesis 3, well, then who's going to be the one that crushes the serpent? Right. Because thus far we've only heard of two. And the one that was good got killed. By the other one. That's yeah. what we call a uh, twofer. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. That old exactly. snake got a twofer on. Two birds, one stone. And things are looking down. Yeah. But, but the sin is getting progressively worse. Yeah. Especially from Adam to Lamech. Yeah. From yeah. Cain to Lamech. I mean, and like Trey pointed out, 
there's even further transgression of the created order. Right. God made one man to be with one woman forever, and then Lamech not only decides to murder a man for wounding him, but he has two wives yeah. and proclaims his own sort of protection, which is not legitimate. Right. So the offspring of Cain becomes this this idea, the human embodiment of this idea of the seed of the serpent. Yeah. It's the rebel, right? The, they, the rebels. They're, they're, they're fighting against God's creative order. But God doesn't leave it hopeless because yeah. he gives another son to yeah. Adam and Eve. And, and in fact, five. Adam says this, you know, this son, he's in, my likeness. he's in my image and my likeness, right? That's that same imagery from the first you know, creation of man. God said, let us make man in our image, right? Yeah. So Genesis 5 says that when he was 130 years, isn't it, that he fathered a son in his own image and his own likeness and named him Seth. And Genesis 5 gives us a genealogy from Seth all the way down to, to Noah. So thus far of Adam, we have listed three sons. Yeah. The text isn't suggesting that Adam has only ever had three sons. Right. But we, we have been called three by name from Seth all the way down to Noah. After Noah is 500 years old, he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Noah's name means rest. Right. And we begin in Genesis chapter 6. The idea Incursion though. number 2. Yeah, the idea is that there is, while there is this lineage of the serpent seed, God has protected and ordered, orchestrated a lineage from the woman, right? Yes. This is going to be the seed line that the snake crusher is going to come through, and God is going to protect it. He's going to keep it pure, and he's going to protect it. And there seems launched, in a way, another assault against the seed of the woman in Genesis 6. Yeah. It says, when man began to multiply... This is, the vocabulary is important. I don't necessarily think that you need Hebrew for Genesis 6, but yeah. the Hebrew is pretty explicit. But Genesis 6, 1 says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of who were of old, the men of renown. You're going to give the rundown on, on, yeah. on exactly what this is? Yeah. Because the idea is that there's this other faction, right? There's this... There's this other creation, these sons of God, that they're not the daughters of men, nor are they the men. So who, who are the sons of God? Yeah, so the Hebrew, B'nai Elohim, um, exclusively refers in the Hebrew to a specific class of angelic host, right. of what we would call angels, uh, divine beings. So Genesis 3 starts with mankind seeing something that looks good, taking it. And there's chaos as a result. Genesis 6 says the sons of God sees that the daughters of man are attractive. Or and then they, then they take. They see with their eyes they and they take. Yeah. yeah. And there was offspring born to them. It says they were the Nephilim, the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And then Genesis 5 
categorizes um, or sort of explains a problem right. as a result of this, that the Lord sees that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But rest, Noah, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah, wrapping up and sort of paraphrasing Genesis 6, Noah is a man that it says, quote, is perfect in his generations. Which means? Yeah. I ooh, That's a fun one. Yeah. So it says blameless in his generation in one translation and a righteous man. And some say perfect in his generation. I think but, that what we can surmise that it doesn't mean is that Noah is without sin. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we, 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 we're not looking at Noah and saying this guy, this guy's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. But it is careful to cast him, I think, in two ways. Yeah. One, that he is not the offspring of it's not a rebel. Yeah, he's not a rebel. He's not... He is set apart. Yeah, he's not almost a literal version of the seed of the serpent. You know, I think that it's... Or serpents. It's important that it says that God blessed the Sabbath day, because it was the day that he rested from all the work that he had done. But then you, you see that rest, Noah finds favor in yeah. the sight of God. Mm-hmm. It's like this idea that, that God's blessing that, that Sabbath, God's blessing that rest. And, you know, the reason for... for God finding favor in Noah, and that that being it, like an explicit thing, is because the, these offspring of these sons of God and the daughters of men have corrupted everything. Yeah, it's it's, it's this is a downward turn in creation where it started off as good. Now you have the God who created saying, "I'm sorry that I ever did it." It's almost yeah. back to wild and waste. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right, and and that's exactly where we're heading mm. because you remember that when everything was wild and waste and the chaos waters ruled the earth, right? That, that you can't live in water. We're not aquatic creatures. It's not habitable. His spirit hovered over the chaos waters and brought order to it. Now, we're about to go the other way. Yeah, it says in Genesis 6:11, <clears throat> Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. <clears throat> so they filled the earth and multiplied. <laughs> yeah. They didn't fill it the way they were supposed to. Yeah. They filled it with violence. That's right. And God sees the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah to rest, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. What a scary statement <laughs> to hear from God. Ugh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, or an ark of eights. This Hebrew word, wood, eights, is yeah. taking the same word of the the eights of the knowledge of good and evil. It's all a tree. Yeah, tree. Tree, wood, word, branch, it's the all the same word. of life. Yeah, it's a tree. I don't so, think that we need to dive into all the dimensions of the ark. No, That's no, 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 yeah. no, absolutely not. But then in 17, it's important. He says, yeah. make, an, make an ark, a boat of eights, a tree. You're going to be saved by a tree. That's going to be important later on. For behold, 
I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh which is under the heaven. And so he pointed out, you know, that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the chaos waters, the Ruach of God, and then brought dry land out of the waters. Yeah. Now the Ruach of God, God's Spirit, or God Himself, is going to cause the waters to come back over the earth. Yeah. He's going to bring the chaos waters back and kill the the flesh. So we have the deluge. God purifies the the earth of with blood from blood, if you right. will. There's two purifying agents. Um, there's fire and water. Right. And so God causes it to rain. This is the first time in Genesis that it rains ever is God causes rain to come on the earth and the fountains of the deep break open and he floods the joint. You know, do you think it's significant that it says in in Genesis, in the creation, that that God, after he saw that it was good, after the rest, it says that on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, that he rested. And that rest, that, that Hebrew word means that he filled his creation with himself. He indwelled it. He, he you know, he entered into it. And you, you see these moments where God is walking inside of the garden with man, right? He's coming in the cool of the day, the wind of the day, the that word is spirit, right? There's, there's this idea that the spirit is operating in creation. And it's almost like God is saying, because of the corruption, because of the sacred space that's been corrupted so bad, I'm just going to remove all of my order. I'm going to remove my spirit. I'm moving all of myself out of this, and we're going right back. Yeah. And that's, that, it's the lack, it's God removing his protective hand, his order that causes the chaos waters to... Which is a scary thought. Yes. <laughs> and keeping in mind that this is God's, <clears throat> so the serpent, in a way, the forces of chaos um, invade illegitimately, cross boundaries in Genesis 6. They bring chaos immeasurably into the earth. They fill it with violence. And mankind also fill it with violence. God's response to that chaos is to bring chaos waters upon chaos, to kill chaos, but save rest. Yeah. And so Noah, uh, the deluge begins in seven, Genesis 7. God tells Noah to bring you know animals on the earth. Uh, we won't go too much into that, but you know, I, I think that it's seven of every clean kind of animal, seven pairs, and two pairs of every every unclean. I don't know. God saves a lot of animals. Let's two, just say two, that. The, yeah. the, the Sunday school version has two of every kind, right? Yeah. The idea is that we're restarting. This is a new Genesis. Yeah. God is going to He's going to, to bring life through this. Yeah. Right? And yeah, that's right. Uh Genesis seven to take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. Yeah. And seven pairs of the birds of the heaven for seven days, for in seven days, so seven days from there, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, every living thing I will kill. So God, uh, you know, says seven pairs of clean animals and then, you know, Yeah, and 15 says they, they went into the ark with Noah by twos, all of the flesh in which the breath of life was. Yeah. Male and female. So there's this idea of a new genesis, a restart. Yeah. God's going to, he's going to, Noah is the new Adam. So on a floating eights, there will be life preserved. Right. For all that has the... From judgment. The, the ruach of life in them. Yeah, from judgment. Okay. Genesis 8, the flood waters subside, and 
God makes a covenant with Noah at the end of Genesis 8. It says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for every intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then chapter 9, God blesses Noah and his sons. He blesses rest and his sons. He says, be fruitful and multiply fill the earth so that's a recast of the genesis blessing again he gives them every beast to eat from you know every animal of every animal you may eat you may eat of all of the the fruits and the trees and all this good stuff and he says be fruitful multiply increase greatly um tells his sons i will establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you and then, things are looking good, right? Things are looking pretty sweet. They're looking pretty good until we get to verse 20. Yeah, and yeah, more more guckiness, uh, <laughs> it, more chaos. It says in verse 20, then Noah began farming. So he's doing doing what he should. Yeah. He's doing doing what he was told to do. He planted a vineyard. He planted a vineyard. <laughs> yeah. So he's planting a garden. And what's he going to do? He's going to drink. Yeah, he takes the fruit from the garden. Fruit of the apes. And he, and he, he turns it into... Alcohol. He gets drunk, and they uncovered in his tent. Yeah. So we see an ascension. We have a hope. Right. Is this the guy? And then, and then it's not no, the guy. Not the guy. <laughs> yeah. Although there's rest. You know, there's there's certain things about Noah that cast him in a way as like a new Adam, a new restart. He is not crushed by the snake, but there's more nakedness and shame. When okay. Ham uncovers the nakedness of his father, or looks upon his father's nakedness. We, for the purpose of this episode, do we want to go into what that means? We could save that for another time. That's probably good for another time. Yeah. So, you know, trekking through Genesis 9, Canaan, the son of Ham, is cursed uh, by Noah. He says, cursed be Canaan. That's important. because, And then he says, the servant of servants he will be to his brothers. He also said, that's, that's kind of low. Like, you're not yeah. just a servant, but you're like a servant <laughs> of servants. Yeah. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. So he blesses his two sons that righteously covered their father's nakedness. They, they covered his shame. Whereas Ham exposed it. And Ham isn't cursed. Exactly. But his son Canaan is cursed. And he says, Canaan, your son, yeah. will be a servant of servants to the other two. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Genesis, and then, yeah. t- Genesis 10 ends up being like this genealogies, and, and it's basically the idea is it's explaining all of these nations. The table of nations. Yeah, they're all coming from somewhere. Yeah. And so, you know, it's going to attribute, in a lot of these, when you read through this, like Magog and Cush and Canaan and... Egypt. All yeah. of these are going to... Joktan. They become important. Yavan. Because they become... Greece, yeah. They become rivals to the seed line. Yes. Right? And so... And the end of Genesis 10, 32, 
I know that's a lot of skipping, but it says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Then we have our last incursion. I want to start on this last incursion by introducing a character. He gets introduced in number eight. So, the sons of Cush, right? Cush was a son of Ham. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's a son of he's a son of, son of, of the, the cursed one, right? He's, <laughs> it's not a good it's not a good lineage here. Cush becomes the father of a man named Nimrod, and the Bible says that he became a mighty one on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and therefore it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Oh man, yeah. Anybody who's done even Sunday school <laughs> Bible study knows Babel is not a good place. No. Babylon comes from the word Babel. But this is leading into our, our, our last rebellion for the purpose of this episode, right? Yeah. It says, Now the whole earth, Genesis 11, had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Interesting this plain in the land of Shinar, that phrase, found a plain in the land of Shinar, only occurs two times in the Hebrew Bible. But, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So they have brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they say, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the Lord comes down to see the city and the tower which they built. And the Lord says, Behold, they are one people. They all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, Babel so that they may not understand one another's speech. So, so let the us Lord, rebel. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. rebel. <laughs> yeah, let's confuse them. Yeah. And it's important because God tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. Genesis 11, they say, let's do the opposite of what God says. Right. And not only let's do the opposite, and I'll kind of camp out in the same spot, let's build for ourselves a city, and then from the city, let's build a tower. And not just a tower. But let's put its top in the heavens. So the idea of this Yahweh's tower domain. is not just like, you know, they're wanting to build a cool building. Okay, yeah. so this is going to be this is <laughs> going to build the first skyscraper. Yeah, that, this isn't just architects having fun, right? Yeah. This is a ziggurat, which becomes a form of a temple where pagan worship, and the idea is that the sons of men they're doing this in the face of God. Yeah, you know, you don't if you were just trying to build something to the heavens, you'd go up to the mountain where it's already high up in the air. Yeah. But the idea is in this plans of Shinar, there's this idea that these these men, they want to make themselves like God. They want to put themselves in mm-hmm. the place of God. And, yeah. and, they're, and the entire earth, right, it seems, or it, most of them are unified in this purpose. So Genesis sort of, in, in a really short paraphrase, categorizes in a way two different kinds of imagers. Yeah. There's, there's Yahweh, you know, ever enthroned king of creation, creator of all things. He has a heavenly family, a divine family, heavenly imagers, the rulers above, if you will, and then the rulers below, humankind, who are his imagers. 
and he establishes them as rulers on the earth, the rulers of love. In Genesis 3, Satan lies to them, telling them that if they eat of the fruit, they will become like God, which just sounds mm-hmm. so silly, you know? Yeah. They do it. But Genesis 6 is a crop, a, uh, a trespassing of boundary. The rulers above come to below. That's right. Try to set up their own seed that is also illegitimate yeah. and rebellious. So there's several kinds of compounded rebellion happening in Genesis 6, but for the purposes of, of looping these things together, in Genesis 6, some of the hosts of heaven defy Yahweh's order by crossing boundaries into earth. And in Genesis 11, the rulers of the earth illegitimately tried to cross boundaries into the heavens. Yeah. So there's, you know, a little back and forth going on here. And so God says, well, let's, uh, you don't, well just you don't, this yeah, if you don't want to obey, <laughs> I'll force you to. Yeah. Right. So he separates their language. He confuses their speech. And then from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Right. So they start to separate into nations, you know, based off of, of Genesis 10. And we get a genealogy that comes down um, from Babel, from Babylon. And this is from Shem, I believe. Yeah, it's from Shem. So this is of the lineage that would be blessed. Yeah. Right? So God says, you know, uh, I, I believe Genesis, whenever Noah blesses his boys, yeah, he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Right. So he says, you know, that the Lord, Yahweh, is Shem's God. And from Shem comes a line of descendants, a man named Terah. When he had lived 70 years, he has three sons. Yeah. Abram, Nahor, or Nahor, and Haran. Then it gives us Terah's descendants. And uh, Ab- one in particular, Abraham, he lives in Ur of the Chaldeans in Babylon. So, so without going into another 30-minute um, deal, the idea is that the nations have, have united themselves. They're, they're in rebellion against God. And God, He disperses them. Um, but for those for our listeners, if you want to go deeper into this topic, there's a ton of scholarly material out there. One I would recommend is um, Dr. Michael Heiser. Yeah. Um, he has his own podcast, The Naked Bible. Um, podcast. He uh, has a book called Supernatural. If you read that, it will you will see a lot of what we've talked about in this episode played out in a much more eloquent way. But basically, the idea is that these these nations have unified against God, and God is going to disperse them, but not just disperse them. The idea is like, you know, get out of here, get out of here. Yeah. I'm done with you. And you don't see any other communication between God and man until this descendant of this mm-hmm. man named Terah, right? Yeah. There's this there's this man named Abram and God decides like, you know, this is this is the one. Yeah. This is this is the one that I'm gonna bring the seed line through. Yeah. So Genesis eleven, like the before we get to the end of Genesis eleven, there's you know, as Creek was pointing out with Genesis six, there's like kind of an ascension between yeah. Noah and and Babel. There's, you know, there's a fall, right? There's a like you know Ham and Canaan and you know some cursing, but 
there's Shem, who yeah. Noah says the Lord is his God, and Japheth, and he blesses the boys, and the boys all have descendants, you know, and there's like sort of an ascension from there. You're like, okay, well, maybe the Edenic mandate is finally going to happen. Because the last time that they multiplied and filled, they filled the earth with violence. Yeah. And then you have rebellion again. They say, well, you know, we're just not going to fill it at all. We're yeah. going to go right here. We're going to build this pagan temple complex. We're going to try to Ill illegitimately cross into heaven's boundary. And it just leaves you again with this taste in your mouth that like, what is wrong with people? Yeah. You just can't get it right. Like, there's... Rebellions of mankind on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. but without trying to open up a whole can of worms. The Deuteronomy 32 can of worms. Yeah, yeah. well, there, no, there's just on there's the micro and the macro. But we've we've seen the first eleven chapters yeah. of the Genesis of the beginning right. of the origins of things, where God has so God rested on the seventh day of creation, right? So yeah. God's you know. In a sense, let me paraphrase it this way, God sits, he rests, yeah. and the rest is disturbed by chaos. Constantly. So God intervenes, and in Genesis 6, more chaos. So God calls a man named Rest, saves the world through him, and then there's more chaos. Yeah. So God intervenes again. So God has to step out of, he has to bring order back to the chaos in a way. Yeah. Three separate times, there's like this, this hopeless feeling that you have, yeah. especially when you think of Genesis chapter three. Man, what? Where is the snake crusher at? Because the snake seems to be having a snake day. having a heyday. Yeah, yeah that's exactly he's, right. He's doing a lot, but Genesis eleven, it brings you hope yeah. because God calls you know, Shem. You know, yeah. blessed be Shem, or blessed be the Lord Yahweh, God of Shem. Yeah, you have. A genealogy from the righteous seed of the woman. It's just letting you know that in the middle of the chaos, like God, God's yeah, working God's behind word. it. You know the idea between all in all these, like, in you know the three of us have talked about this extensively, but you know in Genesis three, Genesis six, Genesis eleven, the idea is that there are there's two sets of rebels in every single one of these events. Yeah, you have the men which rebel, you know, in our own right, but there's also the, these heavenly hosts that seem to keep. Peeking into the picture of Genesis six, you know they're they're the perpetrators. They come down and, and see the women they take, and you know in Genesis three, the serpent. There's this heavenly rebel, and in Genesis eleven, they're, they're behind the scenes, in in a in a Hebrew worldview, in a Jewish worldview, there there's these rebels too. They're called the sons of God. So we're not going to dive like extensively into this, but if if somebody is curious as to what I mean, you know just. Just look into what's called the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And this is this idea of like, where did the gods of all these nations come from? Because yeah. in Genesis, we're listed with 70 nations. Well, because that's a contributor to chaos too, right. isn't it? Like a lot Pagan of the worship. times, evangelistically speaking, what makes your religion more valid than another is the question that's right. posed a lot of the times. Where did these come from, right? So. Yeah, and the Jews, they answer this question. Because when, when, you, you you know, these people, these, these people who have preserved the, the texts of Scripture, they're living in a world full of pagans, of, yeah. of people who are worshiping other gods. So the question is, where did these gods come from? And the answer for a Jew is not that all of these gods are fake. Right. You know, 
we like to look at mythos. We look not back based off of anything. Yeah. We, yeah. You know, like, oh, well, men just, they needed to invent for themselves gods because they were bored or for this reason or that. That's not the case at all. No. For the Jew, they would say, no, these are these are real people. And in and, and Genesis, you know, God, he, he sets up these representatives for these 70 nations. And these, these, these representatives are supposed to image him. They're supposed to direct the nations to him. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. They accept worship for themselves. And so God divorces the nations. Things are hopeless again. We have divine and earthly rebellion. And then we see the calling of Abram. And we're going to go into this series, you know, that we're calling the Snake Crusher series. This is going to be a series where we track through the descendants. We've went from from Adam, then we went to Noah. Now we're here at Abram. And we're going to go through the, this godly lineage that God has set out. And he has sanctified. He's set them apart from the world to himself. These, these imagers, this line of imagers, where he is going to bring about a figure who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And what's interesting, too, if I can jump in here about Abram, is, you know, I'm skimming through Genesis 10, through Genesis 11, through Genesis 9, you know, and 8, and I'm not seeing for the ladies a name. But when you get to Genesis 11, it says in 27, These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. We've heard daughters and wives. That's not anything yeah. abnormal. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and had no child. So the first time that we zone back in on a woman personally by yeah. name. It highlights Abram's wife, Sarai. And it says particularly about her, name's Milka too, but it says specifically of her that she's barren. Yeah. She can't have any seed. Right. And then the question is, for the, the seed of the woman, the Genesis has taken us all the way down this trail showing that God has preserved a righteous remnant of the seed of the woman, but none of them have been shown to be the snake crusher. Yeah. Then we get to a righteous remnant's wife who's coming out of the Chaldeans, right? Because Terah takes Abram and his sons, yeah. and he says, we're leaving the land of the Chaldeans heading towards Canaan, Yeah. right? But they, they stop in Haran where Terah dies, and Abram, who seems to almost become like the patriarch here. And the, the story focuses in on him and on his wife. They can't have any kids. Yeah. So for the, the snake crusher, you know, where, how are you going to get here? Yeah. Because we're, we're all the way down to you and Sarah in the text and, or Sarai. And you can't, you can't have none. So right. what's God going to do? That begs the question. Yeah. Well, what divine intervention will have to take place for the snake crusher to be brought here? We're definitely going to get into that more in the next episode, but it's just like a teaser and a way to kind of, like we, uh, in the Pentecostal movement, like to say, the first landing, 
you know, you get multiple <laughs> shots yeah. at landing the plane, but, you know, in, in landing this plane, you know, we have confusion, right? Babel, all the world is united in confusion. All the world is united in chaos. God introduces further chaos mm. when he divides them up and, and disperses them. But here we see God calling out of the chaos, mm-hmm. Abram. It's the same narrative pattern that's happened, you know, with Noah, with, you know, in the beginning, you know, God's spirit hovered over the face of the deep and he brings order from chaos. God has shown himself to be one who introduces order to chaos. He brings out of, you know, what is, you know, chaotic and wild and wasteful order. And that's what he's doing with Abraham. It's very important that, it, and it's very specific to mention that out of the Chaldeans, this Ur of the Chaldeans is where Abram comes from, and Chaldean is Babylon. That's the people that become Babylon. And it's a new creation in a way too. When you think that there's barrenness, right? There's mm. a lack of fruitfulness. Right. You remember in the Genesis creation narratives, it is the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, that moves on. On the barren, you know, or chaotic, or wild and waste land, and causes or God who speaks to it and says, "Let there be." And so now we have barrenness, but a promise from God to bring seed. And so you wonder, what will either the Lord or the Ruach, which is also the Lord, the Ruach of God, do next to yeah. bring life from barrenness right. or? You know, like you said, order from confusion and chaos. There's kind of an idea and a thread that it stuck to me earlier, maybe even for the first time, whenever you were reading, um, when Eve, she gives birth to Cain, it says, I'm going to name him Cain because I have had a son with the help of the Lord. Mm. Right? So there's this idea that I'm only going to have children, right? Or I only had children because of the help of the Lord. Mm. That's going to become necessary. In, the, in this moment of barrenness, you know, Sarah is going to have to have the help of the Lord. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Are you guys satisfied for the for the week? Can we land this plane? Yeah. I think that's a pretty good teaser. We've yeah. got, you know, God bringing someone out of Babylon from the east back towards a land moving westward. So yeah. I think uh, we've got some setups here, and we're going to see this abram character look into his life and see if perhaps we can find again landing the plane the world has been chaotic right it's been not in god's creative order the world has fallen right we've had murder all kinds of things and what's god going to do what's his going to be response because he's promised it's the snake crusher that it will come from the woman and we have a barren woman so yeah, we are we are looking for this night crusher. Still, we're anxious to see what the Lord shows us through Abram's life. Yep. Well, good uh, stuff. Yeah. Hey guys, uh, thanks for listening to uh, At the Table podcast. Um, that's what's at the table. That's what's <laughs> at the table. Yeah. Um, join us again for uh, next episode. We'll we will dive into the life of Abraham. Yeah. From all of us, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope you have been blessed by the content of the show. If you enjoyed, subscribe and give us a like on Facebook. If you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon, At The Table Podcast. Until next time, thank you 
and God bless.